0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, I'm extremely honored to welcome my very special guest, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member, member of Cheap Trick. This man has sold 20 million albums. He has written more hit songs than I've written actual songs. My friend and yours, Mr. Rick Nielsen, thank you very much for doing this, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. The last time you and I were, were, were living a normal life, we were in Rockford, Illinois, which mm-hmm. I, believe, I believe at that day, they declared you king of Rockford. You, know, you, you, you got a crown and a, and, you know, and a throne. You're, you're the king, ambassador of Rockford. And we hung out and we played you know, played music. You loaned me your very lovely Hamer, uh, serial number 0000, uh, Explorer, and everything seemed just great. It was a great day, I'll never forget it. And then three days later, the world ends. So what have you been up to in the last four months? Uh,
1: just missing you, that was basically it. You know, so right, yes. Like the last uh, human being that I saw play music. Right. You know, except on YouTube or whatever, you know. It's like, right. So it's like, uh, I have fond memories. Uh, I bought a shirt too, Joe. That's good. That's too. Good. yeah. So yeah, I, what have I been doing? I've been, well, I've been actually uh, working on with my guitar collection, but mm-hmm. I don't have anybody to help me. So it's like, right? I'm, I'm I'm pretty lame. You know, I I haven't tuned a guitar in 40 years. So what do I know?
0: Now? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm the same way. You know, I I I, I can restring a guitar poorly. Um, I generally pull the guitars out of the cases and play them whatever tune they're in. I don't have a functioning tuner. I, I you know I just I basically just tune it by ear, and it's usually sharp, and that's it. You know that's this is what we this is this is what the collectors Dude, do. Wait a minute, It sounds like my life. This is your I, life, Rick
1: Nielsen, Joe Bonamassa, whatever.
0: You know I've been having a hard time. You know like with it. Is you know because people the, the the prevailing narrative is is like well you know you guys must be just sitting at home and this this explosion of creativity is going to come out and some of the greatest music ever written is going to be written in the last 120 days. I can speak from experience. I rarely pick up the guitar. I don't. I, I'm not writing songs. I'm not. I, I'm just I'm sitting here living life. I mean, is you find that the the, the same for you? Exactly the same. It's like yeah, we, we can't wait to hear what comes out of your your brain after. Uh,
1: with this free time off, you like, wait this was not free time off. This right. is like this is like uh, this is like a sentence. It is. I mean, and now uh, recently, it's like it, it used to be a ghost town. Right it, it, around where I live, and now everybody's out going crazy out in the streets. It's like uh, I'm still wearing my oops, my checkerboard mask.
0: <laughs> Available on cheap or er, com. No, whatever. It's, you know, honestly, it, the, the mask itself sounds very good because there's a lot of masks that you can barely communicate through. That's a good sounding. You're, you're a purveyor of tone in any, in any fashion. I mean, you, you know how to get a good tone out of a Fender Deluxe or a mask. Yeah, that's it, it, the idea. It's like, um, I,
1: I, you know, this is a true story. Just this past week, um, and you knew my, my guy, Larry Malero, when he died about a year and a half ago. Well, his wife has all his equipment, uh, to help her out, and I'm a guy that doesn't use pedals, I bought 92 pedals.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't even know what a pedal does, right. it's like, except to pedal your bike. So I bought them to help her, and now I've, uh, I'm getting rid of all of them. I've got, right. I started to open all five big, huge boxes, and it's like, If I open the next one I'm in trouble because I'm going to start taking this stuff out I'm going to start putting it into my computer it's like so I just asked somebody that a good pal of mine is actually at your show in Rockford um Mm -hmm. Michael Adamant he said
0: and he said well I'll help
1: get you get rid of them
0: right so that's what I've been doing it's like it's pretty awful it's you know it's a you know the thing about you know having a box of pedals is. You don't realize that the support team that requires that it requires to run the pedals, like batteries and adapters and screwdrivers and everything. And by the time you get done fiddling with all that stuff, the inspiration for plugging the pedal in in the first place is long set sail.
1: Well, yeah, you, you, you mentioned about me with the Fender deluxe. It's like, I got a good sound. I just go for it. I, you know, I don't even, I don't plug in it. I don't change the settings. I mean, you're like a mastermind with. You know, this is .3, .0, and we put that up to four, and it's like, what? I put it, I I turn it on and leave it and go, and at the end of the set, even if I play 12 guitars, I never change, never touch a thing. So, you know, when did you first listen? When I'm a songwriter, not a guitar player, if I need a good solo, I'm calling you.
0: Well, you know, know, I've been listening to lots of cheap trick um, lately, and the thing is, you have, I think the mark of a great guitarist is is within four bars you can identify who it is and you have a way of playing power chords and the way you strike the guitar that it, that I can tell literally within four bars is Rick Nielsen and you know what what were some of the early influences because I know I mean your parents were opera singers they owned a music store in Rockford, Illinois. What was, what was but, but it's a giant leap from opera to dream police. So <laughs> where, where, where were the, like, what was the conduit, you know, that you discovered rock and roll and, and songs? In, and in well,
1: a I, started, I started out as a, as a, a drummer, mm-hmm. and I took uh, lessons from, a, a few lessons from a guy named Frank Arsenal. He was on Ludwig Records, and he, uh, he was the rudiment king And he's dressed up all. uh, I've got the album. I'll I'll send you a copy, at least a picture of it. And so I I started playing drums, and it's like, but I was always beat. You know, I I played with other people, and it's like I would drown them out. You know, I was a Sandy Nelson, and I was a um, a, a Buddy Rich. I liked him, but you know, it's like I I could never be as nasty as him. But I've I've been working on it for years. But uh, but then it's like I I didn't want to. I heard the Beatles, and I heard you know I'd had my some of my favorites were R&B things like the Orlons, mm-hmm. the Terrible Boots, and I, I liked cool records and stuff like that. And but then I switched over to guitar when uh, you know I, I, I could find the to find a drummer. All you need is somebody that can count to four and start over. <laughs> right, or start over know it's like you know because so I, you know, I had to keep getting off the drum uh, stool. To go and show people how to play chords, which I didn't know. I had to teach it. You know, but I had a good ear for for stuff. And it's like, no, that's not. That's the wrong chord. It's like, it's like all right now or something like that. It's, it's not just right. it's A A A G D. Right. there's a whole bunch of little configurations in there. And the Rolling Stones, even till even till a couple of years ago, it's like, you know, like last time. Well, oh, then I finally saw a video of it. Keith is playing. Wait, well, wait a minute! I I've been playing it wrong for forty-five years. So, uh, so I just I taught myself, and uh, because I was I could hear a wrong note. I used to go with my father on the road. He had a, a, a group called the Serenaders. There was uh, two tenors, a baritone, and a bass, and a, and a keyboard player. And I'd go with them. And then, like after their their show. Uh, Hey Jim, the, the uh, Jim Angel this guy's the piano player's name and uh, to and it's like Jim and the third one you hit a wrong note in it. Here's this little frick kid, me. Right. And it's like uh, I knew the I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew a wrong note from a right note. Now all I play is wrong notes was you know.
0: Do you think being a great rock and roll songwriter and guitar player requires a certain level of being a good agitator of not only things and people?
1: Well, well I'll, t- I'll tell you another quick story. Like in, in seventh grade, I was first chair on drums and flute. Right. And so and everybody knew my parents in the music business because he was a big uh, retail seller in uh, northern Illinois to all the, band, uh, all the bands from every school all, of, all over the place. Something great. I went up to the my uh, band director. I said, "Mr. Bischel, you're an incompetent, drunken fool who doesn't deserve to teach music to me or anybody else." <laughs> Boom! I was thrown out. I was really this is true. I was uh, I was banned for life from the Rockford music or Rockford School System's music program. <laughs> Made my prou- my parents real proud. All right. Forty five years later, there was a, a special uh, event where they had uh, uh, John B. Anderson, the president, who ran for president, uh, Dr. Timothy Johnson, who was the ABC morning TV doctor, and myself. I said, what do you, you have me there for levity or something? And it's like, you know, here's some real important people. But by then we'd had some success and stuff. And um, the principal that was at the school where I got thrown out of initially, I thought he he was ancient when I went there. Right. And uh, he came up to me and says, Rick, you were right. <laughs> wow! <laughs> right. Uh, my parents are both passed away. You know, uh, the whole thing is like, but that's what the you know, an agitator. That's what you. That's where this my long diatribe started with. And
0: yeah, you're you're reinstated retroactively. You know, you had you had validation.
1: Yeah. It's like, tell me tell. Know, I can't make up this crap. I mean, it's pretty awful, but I, I stuck to my guns.
0: Tell me about the music scene in Rockford, Illinois, because when I when I I've been to Rockford a bunch, and it reminds me of Utica, New York, where I grew up. Kind of an industrial town, factory town, blue collar, middle <laughs> class. Um, you know, there's always the the corner bar, and there was always a band. You know, where I grew up, and there was surprisingly a. A budding music scene in upstate New York where, you know, it's like you wouldn't think in a town of a hundred thousand people or less You know that there'd be all these bands and places to play. I mean Tell me what it was like, you know in the late 60s early 70s when you were coming up and just starting to You know get into bands and everything.
1: Well, there was always places to play, you know Whether it was any money or you know, it's like you had to play too many sets you know, five four and five sets a night right and uh I mean, we had places, Froggy Putz's Magic Twain was the name of one place. I mean, the fact that I can still remember that, I I can't remember my grandkids' names, but I can remember Froggy Putz's Magic Twain. And I just played every place I could. It's like I never went to a a football game or a basketball game or or a homecoming or, or a Friday night, whatever sport, unless I was playing at it. Right. I had other people that were way better kind of players than I was, you know, Technically, way better, but they always, you know, they were. I was interested in girls too, Right, <laughs> but uh, so there was just always places to play it. And I, I remember one year, uh, we went to uh, Jackson, Mississippi, to play at Christmas and New Year's, mm-hmm. take the whole band there. You know, nobody right. wants to leave home or whatever. So we went down there, and it's like we played at a place the the city dump was called. <laughs> Right. And it's like you know they, they had cars inside the building. It was an old theater building. And here I, we, we were playing it. You know we have no family except the guys in the band, and uh, that's what I did. You know it's like I was just geared to play music and geared geared to wanting to be in a band. And like I said, the other there was other guys that were better,
0: but I had the drive to keep going. And when did you realize you could write songs? What was the what was the what was the moment you go? You know what this this song that I just wrote is going over better than the covers were doing.
1: Well, you know, so we used to, instead of um, being a, a cover band, we were like a cover band of the B-sides. Right. So, you know, nobody had heard it before, but it was written by some good guys. Yeah. The Yardbirds on the flip side of the Yardbird song, or, or the, the uh, Go Now. That, what's the flip side of Go Now for, by the Moody Blues? Oh, there you go. Right. So that, we'd play that kind of stuff in a second. I thought, well, my God, you know, I can write crappy stuff. I can write stuff just as crappy as this. Right. And so then I started writing. <laughs> and I continue to write crappy stuff to this day. Do you remember your first electric guitar? Yes, I do. Do you still have it? My first electric was a Gretsch, a um, I think it was a Corvette. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I got rid of it ages ago, But I, a couple years ago. I thought, I better get another one. It's like. It was a bad guitar, <laughs> but yeah, uh, was great. <laughs> when you were talking about the uh, places around town. Um, my first Les Paul that I ever bought was from uh, it was a 1955 Gold Top that I bought for $65 at the A bookstore in Rockford, Illinois.
0: I still have it. It's amazing. You know, like having, you know, growing up, like uh, having your parents have a music store, you know, as a collector, because, you know, when I was a kid, I was given a copy of The Guitars of the Stars book volume 1 oh. and it was it was your collection some of them and that was that was one of my things when I was like man these are cool and my father ha- it was just starting to get into that business and I remember that I got addicted to the hunt and I got addicted to the, the 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 smell of them and the history because I was always good in history, nothing else in school. But, like, what was the what planted the seed? Going, hmm, these old things they are pretty cool. And you know, I'll find this gold top or I'll find this telly. and you just start stocking them away. What what age did that start happening?
1: You know, I started with my grandmother uh, collected coins and stamps. And and, uh, and uh, d- dinnerware too, or something like that. And it's like, you know, okay, I kind of like that. It's like, you know, they get these stamps from Germany and coins from wherever, and, and baseball cards. And I, you know, I like that. It's like, and then the my parents, the, the music store of they had was a uh, di- didn't have Fender, didn't right. have Gibson, didn't have. They had Martin. Okay. You know, so- Right. And it's like, you know, he, my father was, a, you know, a really trained musician as opposed to you and I. But, uh, but uh, so it's like, I sort of like that, it's like I'd see somebody on TV, and it's like, at that time, the bug was, I couldn't afford or didn't want to spend for a brand new whatever. Yeah. So i was used to, they were, they were just called used guitars. Right. People, people would go to music stores and trade in to, but to get the next guitar you know i can't imagine that trade-in to me i mean i what <laughs> yeah although i did you know do some swapping with different people but it was like i just liked it and then the next, next guitar is season one, Oh man that's cool uh would i want to get no uh, this one has a little uh, it's like buying an apple phone today it's like you got to have each one has something that the other one doesn't have and so it, i started out collecting just like you
0: i've yeah. got one you start with one yeah i remember when i when i had four guitars i was like 13 years old and i remember setting them up on stands and i thought i was like scott chinnery or like you know i was one of these like i thought i was a collect i had four i couldn't believe it i had three tellies and a strat and i was like oh my god this is this is getting out of hand you know
1: <laughs> yeah slap yourself
0: <laughs> yeah you know and it was much simpler back then but you know it's you know it's interesting. Um, it's easier to find guitars now than it was back in when I started collecting in the late '80s, and I would imagine, you know, what, what avenues would you would you be looking at like the 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 classifieds, the recycler, you know, yeah, yeah. reactive like that? Well, we used to go, you know, we'd play all over the place. Uh,
1: you look in a paper, Gibson guitar, okay? Look at it, some farmer, mm-hmm. come, you know, here's what I got. I said, well, it's only got five strings on this one, you know. I said, whoa, that, that that's not worth so much. And, so, and I think it's called a fire a bird or something like that. So I find I found some firebirds like that out of the newspaper, um, and, and then I because I knew the, I'd always look at all the pawn shops and all that stuff, looking for stuff. Once again, not looking for new stuff. I mean, I wish I would have, you know, obviously, bought a few things like that. But you know, it's like there was music stores. Um, in, in DeKalb, uh, it was called Axe in Hand. Oh, and yes. so he only wanted, he had a great collection uh, of stuff, but he only wanted the perfectly mint stuff. Right. And he wanted to charge it too much. So I have receipts, you know, I kept, besides the, the hunt, I have all the receipts from the stuff. I bought two Strat Maple neck Stratocasters for $240 with right. tweed cases, right. you know, because he wouldn't sell the good stuff yeah well i wanted the crummy stuff you know it's like and that's how i found stuff and it was just i was always looking for it and i know what you're talking about the smell i still like the smell of those the lift cases <laughs> most I
0: tried, of. Them. i tried to make a candle one time like i i had a guy who was like into making candles like like let's let's see if we can make a lift and case candle you know yeah. and it it just it just smelled toxic it's not the same I, you know action hand was a legendary store larry hendrickson yeah. he he had a great collection he was you know well wh- i think one of the stories that that as far as guitars are concerned that not a lot of people know is you sold jeff beck yeah. the the sunburst Les paul that he played on truth
1: uh-huh. and
0: and not only that you kept some of the memorabilia around the sale t- t- tell the fans here the, the the story about the beck burst
1: okay um in 1968, well, I, I have I still have the ticket stubs from the Yardbirds at the, uh, uh, the Rockford Roller Rink. It was called. It was in right. Byron, Illinois, and went in a I think it was a Sunday afternoon because they they were playing somewhere in Chicago that night. You know, these used, people used to do two and three shows a day, and it's like uh, I went to see the Yardbirds there, and here's you know I stood right next to. the thing Here was a fuzz face I'd never seen when right. they. It's like oh, this is so cool you know it's like there was a like just a chord everything was it was so you know I wish I wish I would have had cameras with me at all times now today you do so, so I had to it's all in my head well uh, a couple years later uh, I flew to as a kid I was the only person I knew and I still don't know anybody that that bought a Melody maker by air-huh Instead of six weeks later by boat getting the Melody Maker, right. I wanted to have it right now. So I spent a hundred and five dollars, I think it was something like that, in like '65, right. because I wanted it because I loved the music of from England and I loved the guitar players and all that stuff. So I got it. So I wanted it. And the writers were so good. There was a guy named Chris who was one of the writers. And you could tell what the band was without seeing him. And it's like I knew what uh, Jethro Tull was, and I yeah. and I knew that. Uh, but yes, and I saw. So then, I, I, in 1968, I went over to England, and um, and I bought, bought my first Mellotron. I bought a used Mellotron from from Cliff Cooper at Orange Music, and I also bought the very first Orange amp, wow, from, from Cliff. And uh, at that at one of the shows, uh, I, I had just gone. Before that, I went. I flew to Cleveland to a place called Lacave or the cave mm-hmm. to see Jeff Beck and it was the uh, Nicky Waller and Ron mm-hmm. Wood and that whole band. There was eight people there. Wow. And But I'd flown up on my own money to, to Cleveland, you know, which is pretty haul for a, for a kid in high school. Yeah. And um, then a, a, about a couple months later, I went to see Jeff Beck again in Chicago. And he was doing two sets with all these other bands I said Led Zeppelin there, <laughs> $3, <laughs> $3.50 to go in. Take acid and walk around like a crazy person. Right. So I went to see and I hear him watching Jeff Beckner in the first set, and after the set, he he uh, he sets his guitar on top of the Marshall amp. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody thought anything of that. I'm not, I'm glued to it like I was when i looking at back at the arbors And all of a sudden, the the roadie picks up his guitar by the body, and drops it on the ground and snaps the head off it. Right. Oh, my god it's like you know yeah that's like like uh, smashing your father's car you know, you know and it's like uh so I went backstage it was a little easier to to snoop around back then and I said you don't know who I am but uh, and Jeff doesn't even know this but his guitar just got broken and I said I'm a huge fan and uh, here's I don't even have a card I had you know here, here's my phone number if you're interested get in touch with me because I'd like to get I has guitars i i got something i think maybe jeff would like okay didn't say anything of that um two weeks later get a phone call uh, is this rick yeah yeah it's rick um hold on for jeff <laughs> is this rick yeah you still got guitars yeah hold, hold on for my manager. <laughs> it's like okay here you gotta come and see us uh, uh we'll fly you out to to where we we'll are in philadelphia mm-hmm. so was, uh, i'm going to east coast every time so i flew out there with uh I took a friend of mine, because I had five guitars with me. Right. I, I couldn't carry them all, obviously. And we went landed and, and took the five guitars right to the, the electric factory. I think was the name of the place. And here's Ronnie Woods, walked around, he just bought a tea service, sold silver tea service. Perry, can you have some tea? And I was like, Okay, I'm oh, cool. You know, here I am with my you know, hero guys. And vanilla fudge was there too. And it was like and, uh, and so Jeff saw the West Paul, he says I like this one. I said right here. Play. So he took it and he played it, and he played it all night and really liked it. He had a Bigsby on it at the time, and um, so we bought it from him, 350 bucks. Wow. Yeah, it was, and was. That's a serial number nine one six two
0: four. Wow. Yeah. But, and I mean, uh, that's what they were going for. I mean, like three hundred, four hundred dollars. That was it was actually more than they sold for new. Yeah, well, oh, how I got that guitar! I bought that. I traded an SG, and
1: twenty-five dollars to get that. To right. get, that, get to get the Les Paul that I sold to Jeff Beck. So yeah, uh, that's so that's, that's the deal. That's the hunt. And, you know, it's like, you know, and many other things. If you know uh, uh, the Les Paul that Paul McCartney plays, the left-handed one, that was mine too. Right. Uh, right. So I'm no good, but I know I know other players that are.
0: There's, I tell you, there's 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 a great photo of you. You have like a cardinal red Firebird stacked on top of a left-handed black 50 Strat, stacked on top of it looks to be an early Hamer, um, and you would play them all at the same time, you yeah. know, and you what you know like getting into the 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 there's there's Rick Nielsen guitar guy. Then there's Rick Nielsen, the stage persona. I know you met Tom Peterson in a band called the Grim Reapers. And you started, you know, you know, like you're playing around in and out of bands. You met Bunny and, and eventually, you know, Robin. And, you know, one of the things I love about Cheap Trick is always like, you can look at a photo and you go, these are four characters. They're, they have, everybody has, individual personalities and there everyone has an individual star you know and there are very few bands ever formed like that i mean when did you know like when you first got together with the you know because i know there was a, a, a randy hogan was the original singer for cheap trick and but when you first got together with robin and tom and bunny and yourself and you made a joyous noise did you guys know right off the bat that there was something special about the band we so always we were the best guys out of each band that we'd been in,
2: right? And,
1: and it's like, what well, we were—you know—we were always unsatisfied. Look, back in 1968, I bought a Mellotron, and it brought it to the United States. It was unheard of, right? And, and it's like, so I was the first guy in America to have one. Besides, uh, I think the Beach Boys and Stevie Wonder, right. and maybe CBS TV. What well, was like? I wanted i wanted that kind of stuff so badly not that i could play that it was any whiz but it was that's just like i was so intrigued by all that stuff you know, I and mean, that's why i used to like albums where you could get, read stuff and see pictures now i you know i'm older but it's like i still need a magnifying glass to read and know what anything is so yeah we were just like the best guys out of each group uh, tom the band he was in before, before we were together uh, he was the guitar player
2: right
1: he's an accomplished guitar player. But he wanted to, he went to bass to play in a band with me because I wasn't the guy that I, that was better than me, that, that, that had no zip or had no whatever. And yeah, that's it. I'm yeah. making up all this crap right now. So.
0: Oh, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah. History is written by the ones who write it. They, they always yeah. <laughs> When like, I, 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 the, I always find it intriguing that like the Japanese embraced you guys like the Beatles. And you came home to America as conquering heroes. And 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 all of a sudden America and the world started embracing. What do you think it was about the Japanese that that resonated? You know, well, I think
1: with- what we said we were like we were individual characters. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they related us to uh, the guys in Queen and Kiss, you know, because they were like, you know, they were this or that and they weren't the cook the cookie cutter bands that right. are still around today, whatever it was like, uh, and they wanted somebody that could uh, that has been thrown out of high school band in seventh grade. You right. can't you that part you can't make up. So it's like we all had our own kind of history. And again, you know, I didn't start collecting guitars so I could talk to you. And right. It was like it was like that was in that was my personality. My personality yeah. was never going to be as handsome as you <laughs> at, or Keith Richard or Jimmy Page. Uh, you know, it's like I had no desire to try to be something I wasn't. So, but as far as a, a kind of a mouthy jerk, I I, I that. As far as I'm a great guitar player, I, I didn't have that. As far as knowing about guitars, which I thought were cooler than the new ones, I had that. You know, I, I had the desire to do whatever I was doing.
0: You know, tell me about like you know, because like when we when when speak to guys like Gibbons, you know, and yeah. the artist the artistic side of 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 um the band the image this the checkerboard the 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 five neck guitar you know you know is that just something that you just wake up in the morning or or and going yeah it's about a five neck guitar this will this will be ironic and 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 you know is and, and is the record company at that point looking at looking at you going these guys are insane but it's working yeah, well, you know, we didn't sell any records right at
1: first, so mm-hmm. it's like, but they, you know, Rick, here's what you should do to, we had a guy, uh, Kim Fowley, I don't know if you know who that was, mm-hmm. and it's like, he saw us, he saw Chief trick. he says, well, I think Bunny should dress up like Hendrix and Rick should dress up like David Bowie, so, what? <laughs> you know, right. it, was, it was weird enough just being yourself, so it's like, you know, we, we got together for musical reasons, I think that was the thing. And, but entertainment and musical reasons. It wasn't just, uh, it always it bugged the crap out of me when I see guys that, who I love to see play and they were standing up there tuning with their back to the audience. That was one of the reasons why I had all the guitars up on stage with me. I had them lined up. Uh, right, right. I think you've seen some of those pictures probably. Uh, you know, Firebird, there's S. Paul's, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stratocaster, Flying V's up there. It's like, what, what are you crazy said, well, so what you know it's like let's go and i and i saw that video that you did it said uh i got this idea from rick nielsen i have vintage stuff up there and i was like yeah why not i mean you especially you you gotta you're 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 in a band that has your name right at the front right so you, so you make that extra dollar a night
0: so you can go out and buy some of these things it's like uh you, you got the right idea well, the idea, like my idea, is always like, and I and I nicked this from you. And 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 it's that it was only not only it was it great songs, not only it was a, a a great band, but it's a spectacle. <laughs> and, and 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 because again, some people think they're in the guitar business. Some think people that think they're in the songwriting business, music business. Under the giant umbrella, you're in the entertainment business. Yeah. You know, it it doesn't matter how good you are if you can't entertain an audience. You know. And that's how I came up with the guy in the suit. I was like, I can't just sit up here like a like a schlub and and play blues rock. Nobody's gonna come, you know. So you come up with this alter ego, you know. And it, and it's I like, I like this one. This was good. Thanks. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm down ten pounds since since I saw you. <laughs> what was it? What was it like, man? Like, did you know um, when you when when you recorded live at Budokan, Did you know that that was a special night, or? No. Did, just another gig and you go wow it actually turned out I mean, so far, really we, well we came from uh probably the night the night before it was 1978
1: we'd had some hits over there
2: right you
1: know, and one of the reasons why we, i think we did so well over there is like we we opened for queen before our before our first record came out in 77 as they'd heard some of the stuff that we'd done and then Lizzie didn't wasn't going to show up so rick, right. rick cheap drake do you want to be Opening for Queen is hell yes, you know, even though we'd mocked them before. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yes, we did, would. And at those shows, uh, the Japanese press was there to see Queen, of course, because you know, they were huge over there in Japan. And uh, they saw us and they liked us. And they asked me, they said, would you like to write what it's like touring, it was like me doing an interview with you here? It's like, would you tell, explain what it was like to, to work with Queen? I said, well, of course, me i have no uh, songwriting or journalistic skills right. of course i'll do it yeah. and so we did it and we started getting fan mail and we started right. getting uh, little caricatures of ourselves in these magazines you know a la kiss i la gene simmons and you know, a la queen and we started to get in there and then later that same year in 77 uh, kiss took us out for three months right. from canada all the way across to ended up with three shows at the in the uh, LA forum and it's like once again the Japanese press came to all these shows and they started kept writing about us and it's like before you know it's like we're in there all the time and right around that same time uh, we had uh, number one's uh, number one song clock strikes ten right Japan it's like so we're here we are in Japan 78 in uh, going there after getting all this fan mail all this stuff and having some actual success over there here we are playing this Club or someplace in Iowa, we fly to Tokyo, and we're all in coach, Northwest Orient Airlines, right. and it's five thousand people. As we land at the airport, it was Haneda Airport, but before Narita was there. And I thought, oh my God, it must be the Emperor or something's on here. But it was the people were there because we we're last off the plane. We we're like way in the back. It's like they were there for us, and they started chasing us all over the place from the from the airport. To our hotels, it was crazy. People were hanging out the windows, and right. well, it was like Beatlemania. What I, what we knew about it. And so then we had a successful couple weeks there in Japan. Two shows at the uh, at the Budokan with all different kinds of cities. We were recording. We were going to make a re- uh, recording at the Budokan for the Japanese fan club. Right. And it was. It was the beginning of. It was the. Uh, it was the first record. I was thinking was coming out on the Epic Sony label, as opposed to some, just Sony. Right. And, uh, the, the guy, one of the guys, the, the two guys that were uh, our bodyguards there was um, Joe Morita and uh, um, Norio Nago- mm-hmm. we Nanaka.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Joe Morita was actually the, the son of uh, Issei Morita, who was the, uh, the president of Sony. Right. So here I'm telling hey, go get me this. You know, right. Here's the right. guy that owns the whole company. And the other guy, Norio, he was like a college rep at the new label. The last time we were there, uh, he was the president of the company.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: and it's like, you know, so he goofs around with me. It's like where he is kind of a straight kind of guy, but it's like, he used to carry my bags around. It's like, all right, Norio, and we still make goofy faces together. and, And so, but then here we do that tour then we fly back, wow this these people are the greatest people on earth. They love Chief Drake, you know, they're the smartest people I've ever met. I can't you know, this, that, the other. Then we fly back, we go back to Iowa and play with a club with nobody there. So, was, you know, so that that was the reality of the, of that. And then it was a few months later until we uh, mixed the record in New York and we were like only actually did half the record. Because we just like, ah, this isn't going nowhere.
0: Right.
1: So we were smart too.
0: It's you know it's it's uh, it's amazing you know I mean because the we I would fly back from England or or Europe where I was doing pretty well and you know we end up in you know we end up in uh, you know Kansas and it's like I'm like wow there's a little we got a little work to do here in the old uh, yeah. in the old colonies I mean talk like mean, like again this is why I always said any act that has the unfortunate position on a roster to follow cheap trick is not going to have their best day ever because you guys kill them you guys kill the crowd with big hit songs dream police i want you to want me surrender you know these these are these are staples these are standards you know and i was reading about the record lap of luxury which yielded one of your big hits the flame which wasn't one of the first songs that the band and yourself didn't write you know and you're working with outside writers but also you guys did don't be cruel and 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 ain't that a shame like was that for lack of a better words doing like a fast domino and a and a Elvis song on that record was it was it like just ah oh, fuck this fuck this label shit was just just do an Elvis cover you know jeff beck style
1: yeah well it's jeff beck style as opposed yeah. to anything else and you think the the songs that we covered uh, you know we also did our first record we did the uh, Speaking of our forever old year piece yeah. by Terry Reed, one of the g- greatest singer vocalists who almost was the lead singer for Led Zeppelin. You know, right. Like, you know, it's like we liked him back before, way before he, you know, yeah. did the gig. It's like, so we had kind of, you know, kind of this good taste. And I, it, with Ain't That a Shame, um, we liked the John Lennon version. So it's like, uh, and it was just kind of a fun song. And you know, we always, we always needed. You know, I don't do a guitar solo because i was too smart, and uh, and you know, we, you know it's like all right, drum solo, go oh, good o- or bad omen, bass solo next, you know, it's like right, you know, so we never want to do all that stuff. It's like you know, Jeff Jeff back doing one song, singing "Hi Ho Silver Lining," and that's it, right. It's like A, C, D, C. They don't do any ballads. Right. They're all in A or E or whatever. But they're just so frickin' good. Yeah. It's just like it's exciting. I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about that. I get goosebumps thinking about anything at my age.
0: I think Jeff Beck, he also sang the second verse of Let Me Love You. It's got to be him. Because it sounds like the, the vocal on Hi Ho Silver Lining. You know? I'm still trying to yeah. learn the uh, next boogie.
1: You know? <laughs> right. I don't have to learn any other It's like you know, it's like that guy was just he's improved. You know, he 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 always, he was great always and he kept getting greater.
0: Yeah, you know, to is the top rock guitar player of every decade he's been active in. Sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands. I mean, and and just and and the ability to reinvent himself. So just when you think he's he's tapped out, he comes up with something else, and you're just like, okay, there's infinite amount of notes on this guitar. You just got to go find them. He has the ability to find them. Tell me, uh, you mentioned John Lennon. Tell me about working on the Double Fantasy record. Well, it was uh, uh, actually Jack Douglas
1: who produced our first record, and he, actually he was one of the guys that uh, that mixed uh, Live of Budokan record, mm. and uh, it was 1980 um in 1980 it was like uh he was making this comeback record with john lennon right and he contacted us i said uh, they need to, they want to see if anybody could uh, john thought it was like too lounges sounding right that they were making and so out of the blue he said hey you guys uh how would you like to work on john lennon uh duh awesome. um, okay <laughs> and um I'll, I'll send you some press junk too it's kind of interesting yeah, but uh, so we got a phone call, it's like, okay, uh, we were, my son Dax was born the day that I worked with, with John Lennon in in, in uh, New York. Uh, we'd played in Montreal, and the, he was born at five in the morning, and, was, and otherwise I would have been at the hospital with my wife, because you know, I was there for my other kids, but uh, we were leaving to go to Japan, and we ne- didn't know the date. That she was gonna have a baby, and you know, but we knew we we're going to Japan, blah blah blah, and it's like it just happened. That it was that same day, uh, so my wife had I'd been given a hall pass, so if it if it happened, great. Uh, her, her line was, I was like, "He's your hero. Why would you want to be? You know, go for it, Rick. You know, it's like, and I was like, okay, thank you, honey. <laughs> right. <laughs> Worked out well, and uh, so um, so that uh, that morning we went to the airport. It was Bonnie and myself. And um, I've, I just bought some uh, Cuban cigars. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think they were Cohiba Robustos. So, Very nice. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they were the the Churchills. They were the Robustos. And so uh, we got went to the studio it was at the Hit Factory, and Bonnie and I went and set up. I brought about three guitars with me there, and um, getting set up, my went my, my deluxe, mm-hmm. and the three guitars. And, uh, and John Lennon walked in with Yoko's. Oh, it's you! It's you! You know, he right. said, "Well, Rhea, it's me." Uh, he said, "Wait." A minute. So Jack Douglas tells the story better than I would, but it's like it was just so cool. It was like, uh, it was musician to musician. Right. They liked they liked what I was doing, and um, I came up with the riff that we had on the song on uh, "Losing You," and while I was doing the overdub. And the bunny was in the booth with Jack and John and Yoko, and John said, "Oh, I wish I had Rick on cold turkey." I said Eric, choked up. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, Eric. What do you think of that? Huh? not bad. You're going nowhere now after after that. But it's like, and we actually talked about, uh, you know, making a record together with the whole band. Right. And uh, and one of the other things about that, uh, before our first record, when we were looking to, uh, when we were signed to Epic, we wanted to know if, uh, they said, who would you like to produce it? We said, John Lennon. Yeah. And our manager said, ah, he's not working. It was in 1976. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, not, he's not doing anything. He's making bread with his wife or something like that. And it's like, okay, so now I'm with, with John Lennon. There and they're saying, you know, uh, John is you were our first choice of producing our first record. he says, I would have done it.
0: Oh, man. <laughs>
1: so I said, so we looked at, our manager wasn't there. I said, we wanted to kill him before that, but we, we wanted to kill him right then again. Right. Because you know, he told us, well, oh, no, he's not available. He, he, he doesn't know you, he hates you, you guys, you know, whatever. Right. It, it was uh, It's quite amazing. It's quite a, quite a cool thing. And plus then Lennon, uh, you're a guitar guy. I'm a guitar guy too. Here I'm looking at the guitars I brought. Me, I had my, my Fender uh, string bender, and Les Paul, and uh, I think maybe I can't remember the third one. It's, it's, it was it's never been in the story that I've read about it. But so um, I said, John, uh, I said, you're John Lennon. Nobody ever tells you know about anything. I you know. So it's like Steven Tyler. Nobody ever tells him, right? But, you know. <laughs> no they all tell him yes steven yes steven yes john i said sean you i, I want to take you to guitar shopping because you shouldn't have this valeno right you know, valeno it's like the last person i knew that had a valeno was mark farner from right the, the, yeah and it's like he shouldn't be playing that but they had rusty strings on it so but they also had his rickenbacker they played at shea stadium with the um, the set list scotch taped to the side it's like he's, this is gold to me. It's like I'm looking at this stuff, and it's like wow, this is fantastic. And then remember my mellotron story? Well, he had the mellotron that he used with the Beatles. He had a black one that was there at the studio, and I had I had the original dual keyboard, like the same one. So I mean, we're just we're talking guitars and, you know, and stuff and smoking cigars about our kids and and uh, it was just like it was it was a. It was amazing, amazing. It was like, uh, here I am with the, my hero. <laughs> how do right. I meet these guys? It's like, you know, how do I meet McCartney? How Jeff Beck and John Lennon. I'm a guy from Rockford, Illinois. Like, he, you know, we're the
0: same kind of nerd. Right. But exactly. I, I, I always say this, but, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, everybody's born somewhere, you know, and it's having, having that personal initiative to get out there in the world and, and, and bet on yourself. That's why you. That's why you're in the room with John Lennon. That's why you're on stage, you know, at the Booticon, because you bet on, you know, because you bet on yourself. You waiting for the FedEx guy?
1: Yeah, we. My, my my cleaning lady is here every Wednesday.
0: See, I, I, I would I would imagine Casa Nielsen is like a lair full of like high tech cameras and like Howard Hughes things to keep an eye on the guitar collection and and all that stuff. But you're pretty sticking rudder.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever that was—that's that's even too
0: technical for me. Right. Hey, uh, before we wrap up, tell the folks out there—not only are you a great musician. Yes, you're my favorite guitar player. You're the best in the world, and you know. <laughs> that's 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 going to be scrolling on the header while this okay. whole is going on. You know, you know. Rick thinks Joe is the greatest. I mean, there's. I have a whole. I have a whole list of things that good are. Right. Good. Yeah. Um, that'll be in post. N i e l s e n. Anyway. Right. Okay. Yes. Did I misspell it? I misspelled it. No, no. Just... I'm I'm always paranoid by misspelling people's. Everybody names. does, or lots of people who do. I said on a check, you can call me I don't care. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So, talk to me about like you're not only a wonderful musician and songwriter and guitarist, like it or not, you're a great guitarist. You're also an entrepreneur, and you're also you yes. uh, you 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 you've you've embraced the second word in music business. In that you've 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 invested in other things like a company like Reverb and and uh, a, a pizza place which I'm I'm really sorry that I haven't been called Peace which is oh, in bad man I know you're like you told me like why don't you come to my pizza place I'm like I didn't know you had one you know I didn't know Rick Nielsen was like like the Jeff Bezos of rock and roll you have you have like fifteen hundred businesses going on at the same time I can't keep track I do but, stuff that I like right so uh, that's my question is. What's, what's the barometer for getting into another business that isn't necessarily rock and roll? Is it it's just going, hey, that's cool. And, you know, because you seem to have the Midas touch for this kind of thing. Well, I've, I've done some dumb
1: things, too. But uh, I just do stuff that I like. You know, I invested in, in a pizza place because I liked the guy, and it was, was going to be in Chicago, and it was not thick crust because I, that's to me, is like a loaf of bread with some sauce on it. I right. like to the, thin like New York right Uh, or like new haven pizza and the guy is a personal guy i liked the uh, the plan he wasn't going to buy uh uh brand new equipment you know i can think of way back to my guitars you know i didn't buy the brand new equipment because if it doesn't work out you spent twice as much money and now you get to sell it for you know it's like i thought of all that stuff and we've been in business 19 years now we were the number one out of 37,000 pizza, beer
0: establishments in the country. And Joe, would, Joe wouldn't go there. And I invited you there. I, you invited me there, and then everything shut down. We had to go home. I was going to go. I had reservations.
1: And Sammy Hagar is, is his favorite place. We've got stuff for him. Got baseball players, all yeah, basketball, football, Indian musicians. Def Leppard, I had them there. I had Foo Fighters there. And they right. liked Joe. Well, I'm I gonna say okay, you're still invited. Thanks. So yeah, I invite. I invest in stuff that I like. You
0: right.
1: know, uh, I, I never want. I didn't invest in a McDonald's or you know like like kind of normal kind of stuff to be you know owners of this or that. I invested in a place in Rockford, Illinois too. It's called the Stockholm Inn. Right. And it's like it's they make Swedish pancakes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and no and yeah, no no alcohol. It's like. You Know this is this will never do anything. Well, we have 12,000 customers a week at that place. Wow, my, my dad used to go there. I went there and said it's, it's not cookie cutter, right? And, uh, and I actually now I'm sponsoring a, a NASCAR car that's going to be in checkerboard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That makes sense. I love yeah. it. And there's, a, a, there's some spirits here in town, it's called um, um rock and vodka, which is made out of. Sugarcane, mm-hmm. only one of thirty-eight in the in the country, right? And, and it's, it's putting people to work.
0: It's great, yeah. You're putting people, and you're and you're and you're doing stuff that you love, yeah. you know. Um, I last- can't keep with it. Plus,
1: we're doing the Hard Rock Casino here in Rockford. It took me fourteen years to get that
0: happening. Now with the pandemic, everything is closed down. I bring it to Rockford, and you know? you, that's the thing. Your lifelong Rockford. And, and you've lived your whole life in Rockford and and you invest in your community. I mean there's, I mean there's a lot of that, there's a, there's a lot of lesson to be learned there. You know, it's like you've done really well over the years and and sold millions of records and you invest in the community that 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 helped nurture you. It's it's, it's yeah. well, you know you know the the building you played in the Coronado. Right. I raised the
1: money to put that to get that thing back in shape. Right. Uh, I raised 17 million dollars or something like that. You know, I didn't hit I didn't na- <laughs> I didn't I wasn't good with a hammer and nail or anything, I, but it was helped get the awareness of the thing. And the, for for my gifts, thank you, Rick. You know, I it's not for pay or anything like that. I said they wanted to give me a seat, you know, the old seat with the, you know, the your know, name tag by it. They said, we'd like to have you in the front row. I said, I don't want to be in the front row. I said, well, I used to sit up there in the next to the last row of the in the balcony with, with the girls. And it's like so that's why I got with the seat. That's why you saw the seat way up there. Take a picture with it. I know. It's like it, it, that's you know.
0: It's, if you gotta tell people you're cool, you aren't. Front row. Yeah. I see Rick Nielsen's seat front row center. It's uh. It, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. I like if somebody calls me for a show. I said I actually I actually said please don't put me in the front row. Please. I I'm I don't want to I, I don't want to be involved. Put me in the back. I I. I'm, I'm totally happy just, just blending into the woodwork. One last thing before I let you go. Yep. I spoke to Mike Michael Hickey, Esquire. Oh, I know that guy. you. guy's cool. And um, one, he asked me if um, you had any early, like super early Hamer Explorers for sale cheap, Spe- <laughs> specifically serial number 0000. Oh. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, and, and he says, you know, by the way, you can keep the Bobby Lee strap. He doesn't need the strap, you know, uh, he's got his own guitar strap. Um, tell me about, you know, you were instrumental in launching Joel Danzig and the Hamer Guitar Corporation. I mean, like you were you were the first out there. It was you and Martin Barr. You know, it was the first time I saw a Hamer guitar was Rick Nielsen, Martin Barr from from, from Jethro Tull. You know, you could have played anything at that point. What was about, you know, what what about Hamer guitars that spoke to you, um, and and how did you how, how did they come on your radar? Well, they were sort of the same kind of same ilk of they liked the the, the
1: vintage older stuff, mm-hmm. the, the old pickups, the old PAFs, and the, right. the old nickel hardware and the and the, the cool necks, and, and they've done some work for me on a. Uh, right. old uh, maple Strat, Ma- Mapleneck Telly, Les Pauls, con- some conversion stuff right. back in the day. And it was like, these guys have their shit together. Yeah. And uh, they were, he, they, before that, I, I helped raise the money. <laughs> I was living in Philadelphia, no money at all. My wife was pregnant, no insurance at all, no hospitalization. Um, Paul Hamer somehow got in touch with him because I knew him from, this is like 1970, 70, around then. So just right after Fuse, right after being broke and moving to Europe and all kinds of stuff, uh, I was going probably nowhere. The only place I was going was nowhere. (laughs) And uh, so I got a phone call. Uh, Paul uh, chased me down. Rick, do you still have guitars? You know, sort of like the Jeff Beck thing from right. a few years ago. And I said, "Well, yeah, my wife is pregnant. I don't have any money." Uh, he says uh, He says, "I'll give you twenty five hundred dollars for your Les Paul." I said, uh, "I said we're we're driving back to Rockford." So he, Paul came out to, to Philadelphia. He was a mailman at the time. He had his hair braided right. down to his ass, and. Uh, so this was before Northern Prairie Music and and Hamer Guitars. Tires, but so I knew him from then. I sold him a guitar, so that was the seed money for him starting uh, Hamer Guitars. Right. And, uh, but those guys just did quality work. They they cared about that that old junk that 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 lift and uh, case smell right. like your your candle smell. If you perfect it, I'll buy a few of them. Okay. Okay. So you got some business right there. Uh, so that's how that started, you know, and. Uh, and our friendship just kind of grew from there. Then all of a sudden, it's like, after doing all the some of the work for me, they had come up with this idea for this this guitar. Oh, the Explorer, you know, the rarest beast on the on the planet. You know, it had lots of Les Paul, it had this and that, fenders, and this and that. But this thing is like unique, it's like, and you never saw them ever. They made one, it had PAFs in it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, that's the 00000. zero, 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 zero.
0: That got to play at the Cornell.
1: Go, go fish. But uh, Mike has uh, helped me out, actually. Uh, he helped find a few guitars for me, too. and Plus, he helped me find your address so I could send
0: you the Skylark. Ah, thank you, which is, which yeah. is lovingly on the wall. Thank you very much. And the picks, I enjoy. I, I use the picks for acoustic guitar, by the way. I prefer Mick Nielsen's signature picks on acoustics.
1: Well. For, for years, I buy uh, my picks, I buy 60,000 at a time. I've never sold one. I've never sold a pick. they are on eBay all the time. It's like, uh, for the first two years of our career, everybody thought my name was Fender. Right. Because I always like the Fender mediums. They were the best right. I used to use. Now, um, I, do, I, do, I, do, I do use a few picks. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I've never sold one. But it's like, when I was growing up, I, there was a guy that uh, went to, my parents, the church we went to, and uh, he was a toy salesman. And, you know, it's like, here's, a, here, you want to sit in church? And, well, I knew at the end of church, he'd open up his trunk and he had toys. So it was, it, it was kind of like that. You know, it's like you go to the dentist and they give you a sucker, you know, for all, all, the, all the pain. Here you, you get a rubber ducky or whatever you get. Yeah. The idea of giving people something. Like like playing every night live. You gotta you gotta go out there kick their ass.
0: Yesterday didn't matter. It's like if you ever were lucky to have an audience with BB King. I did on many, many times. As you're leaving, no matter how many times I saw Norman and how many times I'd run into them, Norman always goes, Here you go, man. And give me a pin. You know? And it was it was just it was just this memento, you know, he had a pocket full of pins, picks. It's just you know it's it, 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 it's a it's a real you know it's a real connection to the audience you know and that, that follows you, you your whole career
1: yeah, yeah. we got, we got sued one time here's the true story we got sued because somebody got hit in the eye with a with a drumstick <laughs> yeah so, right
0: I mean if you're gonna get if you're gonna get injured a pick is the way to go that's right and offender medium has is according to reports has not killed anybody. Uh, some of the players have done
1: that. Yeah. Yes. Sure you're the great. best,
0: Rick. I can't thank you enough for being on here, man. You're 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 the coolest cat, and I and I and I apologize for stealing so much of your playbook and applying it to my own personal game. Yes, I'm a little irritated at that too, but there you go. I'll get over it. I, I, listen, pizza and beer on me in your own establishment. I'm buying. I'm gonna buy it anyhow. So what's the difference? That's why I figured. <laughs> We'll
1: find another place. There's another place in Chicago that we can go to. But, of course, we'll go to peace. All right.
0: Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Rick Nielsen. Thank you for joining us here. This has been Live from Nerdville. Until next time.